Hey everyone, welcome back to the Your Money, Your Life podcast, episode 31, The Big Picture. If you're listening, five-star rate and subscribe, review. Thank you for listening. As always, Team New Street, we're going to talk about what's in the news. We're going to talk about the news. A lot of interesting stuff coming up. I actually recorded this in the morning, had audio issues, so you're getting a second time to the charm recording late at night, 9.45 Eastern time in New York. We will also talk bull or bear case on Salesforce, CRM, ticker symbol CRM. Finance Roundtable, think big picture. Stop worrying about little things. We'll talk about that as well. We also have an interview with Jody and Jody Ann talking her life. Her life as an independent consultant. A lot of wonderful things. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoy the show. Hey, what's in the news this week? Let's talk about it. What's in the news? The stock market hit an all-time high. So if you listened to us last week, we actually reached all-time highs again. If you remember, it was not even a few months ago where people were freaking out about the stock market, thought the stock market perver- proverbial world was ending. And you know, just a couple months later, we are at all-time highs again. It's really led by tech. You know, your big gains in Apple, Amazon, Alphabet, formerly Google, Microsoft, and Facebook. Uh, they now make up 25% of the S&P index. So they're massive. They're massive valuations. Uh, again, tech driving things. You know, the pandemic really drove this tech revolution that we're seeing. Um, and so, yeah, uh, we're back to all-time highs. And that's kind of crazy to think about, uh, but it's it's here. Um, what else is in the news? TikTok's been in the news a lot lately. I actually said in the opener, I recorded this in the morning, but lots even happened since the morning when I recorded it. Obviously, TikTok sued the U.S. government recently for what they believe is you know, a infringement on their freedoms. Uh, as, as you saw, the administration banned them from operating in the U.S., so they decided that they're going to sell, sell the U.S. operations. TikTok is. TikTok's owner is Byte. Dance, a Chinese-based company, um, and the U.S. government deemed this as a threat, so they've moved to ban TikTok, uh, which is a social media platform, unless there was a sale involved, and they gave to about September, middle of September, to do so. Which some people have thrown their hat in the ring. We saw Oracle is trying to buy TikTok. Um, we saw Microsoft is trying to buy TikTok. We saw Walmart on their own were trying to buy them. That TikTok said, "Hey, you don't have the." T- the technology infrastructure to really do this. So Walmart has actually teamed up with Microsoft and they're making a bid for TikTok. This is incredibly interesting. Microsoft and uh, Walmart making a bid. This is something we haven't seen. It's unprecedented. These two teams teaming up to buy this social media giant. Um, and you know, I haven't heard a social media company being described like people describe TikTok since the beginning of Facebook. You know. TikTok is something that people say that when they're on it, they get it, they're addicted. They just like start scrolling. The algorithm is so good that they'll sit there and they'll be on their for you page for like two, three hours and not even know the, how fast the time went. Not myself. I have a page, but I barely go on it. Um, maybe I'll practice some moves and post a video at one point, but <laughs> I haven't yet. Uh, but yeah, that's what's going on with TikTok, Microsoft, uh, Walmart, super interesting. The market thinks that Microsoft and Walmart are going to be the big winners here and, and possibly win this bid. So they were up today um, on the news. And we'll watch it. We'll watch. I think it makes sense from a strategic e-commerce standpoint for Walmart. You know, Walmart can really 
become a bigger player. I mean, like think of it from a, just a overview point, like kids are watching some cool dance. Um, oh, okay. You watch this cool dance. Now you want to buy the t-shirt that the people with the influence was wearing, go to walmart.com. Super simple. Uh, and now if you're thinking about it from Microsoft, it makes sense. Another line of business advertising, advertising revenue, TikTok just released numbers for the first time through the suit. Um, they have amazing growth in monthly average users. Um, it's, it's so this is just an interesting play, smart play. And we'll watch what happens there to be announced before the end very soon. Um, also, American Airlines in back in travel news, American Airlines said they're going to shrink their headcount by about 30% below March levels by October 1. That's 19,000 involuntary cuts in furloughs, including pilots, flight attendants, management, staff, mechanics, and others. This is this is great. The pandemic has just devastated travel, especially air travel. The CARES Act helped with a little bit of relief, but that money is running out. The $25 billion aid to travel airlines is running out, um, and so they need more. And they're, they said, hey, we don't have this tra- level of travel that we used to have, and we need help. Uh, so we're going to have to cut jobs. So that's coming down the pipeline in October. Uh, something to watch about. And that's something that obviously you want to see people get help and workers and, and people stay employed. But we'll have to watch and see what happens. So that's our quick, quick news update. Next week, next we will do our Buller Bear case on Salesforce CRM. Bull or bear, bullish or bearish, Salesforce, Salesforce CRM. Salesforce jumped incredibly. The stock jumped about 26%, not today, but the day before. On strong earnings being added to the Dow, uh, people, the market was just loving everything. Salesforce two days ago, um, and huge jump in the price. Um, let's, let's look at it. Let's break down the bull case, the bullish, meaning we are very bullish and high positive on the future earnings of the company. If you're looking at it, bullet point one, strong acquisition choices and execution. Salesforce uh, does a good job with their acquisition choices execution, thanks to you know management and the way that they do strategically, they do things strategically. The company saw a 617 million unrealized gain in the quarter through its stake in Encino, a company operated cloud-based software for banks, that went public in July. Salesforce also, um, you know, had another great acquisition that came to, uh, to fruition, which was Tableau Data, a visualization software Salesforce acquired last year for fourteen point eight billion, which was up nearly sixty six percent on one point five one billion uh, of revenue there. So again, strong acquisitions that they make choice when they execute. Good synergy execution is is on point with that, and the market realized that value. Again, I think strong management. I think Mark, the CEO, Mark Benoff, has made great decisions. Um, he's obviously an outspoken CEO, but he seems to know the business very well. And recently, he just said that they're going to make cuts, and he said it was part of running a successful business, which is it's true in some cases. Obviously, harsh but true. You know, you have to meet bottom line, you have to meet margin um, expectations, and you need to make sure the company's profitable. And so. He's making those hard and tough decisions. Uh, and they have a strong track record. The growth track record is astounding for Salesforce. Um, and that's something that you have to, um, you know, keep your eye on. Uh, so that's, there's that bull case competition. If one of these bigger, excuse me, bear case competition, if one of these bigger technology giants that are really into the 
B2B space like Microsoft or something comes in and starts to try to really make a push into this lane, that might give them trouble. Uh, Microsoft has Microsoft Teams and doing all these different things. They could look into that area as well. So that's something to watch out for. Um, but, you know, because again, company that I'm, you know, very interested in, keep watching. For those people who listen to this, make your own, do your own research, make your own decisions, uh, and don't base your investing decisions off this. That's my disclosure on that. So, everyone, hope you enjoyed that. Next up, we'll talk finance roundtable and bigger picture. Hey, everyone, finance roundtable, gather around, gather around. We're talking about focusing on the bigger picture to be able to stay on top of stay on top of finance goals. So a lot of times I talk to people, everyone is so focused about menial things that don't allow them to move forward in what they want to do, right? It's like, oh, I have to pay a minor fee or I have to pay, well, I have to pay tax, but I have to pay this. It's like all this analysis, uh, paralysis by analysis on stuff that like don't matter, especially when you look at the bigger picture, especially when you aggregate those menial things over the lifetime. If we're worried about, again, it goes back to these concepts of like, do I pay for a $4 coffee? Worrying about $4 coffee over a period of time, like that's just not the way to think about life. Really, again, we've talked about it, make more, invest more, save more. So I want to get people away from the track record of thinking about menial things and really not focusing on the bigger picture. Yeah, sometimes you want to focus on the details and you certainly should, but the way I think about it is you work from the big picture back. So if you think about your finance goals, whether they're you know medium term or long term, you want to think about those and then work back from there. What do you want to have 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now? Okay, what do I need to do in the next, you know, on a yearly basis, on an annual basis to get to that? What about on a monthly basis? What about on a weekly basis? Then you go from there, right? So you want to focus on that. Next thing, you want to make sure that you don't allow menial things to stop you from doing something. Like when I speak to someone, they're like, oh, you know, do I have to pay a fee for you to advise me? Like, yeah, of course you do. Like this isn't some, you know, free free ride sort of thing, people. Um, you need to understand that if you if you want to do something yourself, certainly do something yourself. But, you know, learn that, you know, do, do you think Warren Buffett was worrying about broker fees when he wanted to buy hundreds of millions of shares of a company, which would rack up into millions of broker fees back then when they didn't have commission free? <laughs> you know, do you think he was like, oh, wait, you know, I can't buy this company because I'm going to have to pay broker fees. Like people need to understand like menial things shouldn't stop you from actually trying to make profit. You, people need to get more, you know, risk taking when it comes to that. Like, it's not even a risk. You have to pay a fee for for a profit like that. That that doesn't make sense, and it shouldn't stop you. Especially also when it comes to you know, again, I have people that ask questions about taxes. You can't evade taxes, people. I understand tax optimization strategies, but you shouldn't allow that to stop you from doing something because you're worried about paying some sort of tax on something. Again, these are things that should not stop you from moving forward with a sound plan. Um, it's something that's come up a lot, so I had to discuss it. I think that people really need to look into the bigger picture, not focus on things that don't matter, especially when it comes to finance. There's so much noise and so much things that don't matter if you're looking at the bigger picture. So I definitely want to touch on that, but reach out to me with any questions on that. Um, Up next, we're going to have the interview with Jody. And um, this is a part one of two interviews. So I actually have two interviews. The next part of it will be next week with her same person. 
Um, I cut it into two because it was a little bit longer. And uh, so it's abruptly cut off at the end of this one. So, uh, but we will have her back on and we did a little role reversal in the next interview, but this is a great one interview. She talks a lot about what she's doing, uh, her consulting services. So I hope you guys enjoy the interview. Right. I Fair enough. We are not, we aren't yet. We're getting there. We're getting, We're getting there. there. Well, thank you, Jody Ann. Appreciate you, everyone. We have Jody Ann joining the Your Money, Your Life podcast. So thank you very much for your time and for, for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm super, I'm super excited to be here. We'll see what, we'll see what we get talking about. Of course. No, we were just <laughs> discussing some of the things we can talk about, but you know, before we jump into finance, before we jump into, you know, kind of our, our talk about finance consulting, tell me a little bit about your career path. So I've obviously had a couple conversations for you. We met at a cool event. And, and since then, we've, you know, been in brief contact, but we had contact a few, few weeks ago about, you know, what you've been up to recently, which you kind of got on your own as an independent consultant and you're in high demand right now because what you do is actually in, in a big, big time demand. Um, so tell us a little bit about your path to where you are as an independent consultant. And I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, it's interesting. So I'm actually going to walk it back, um, kind of all the way from undergrad until now, because what I want to normalize for folks, and I'm sure a lot of folks who listen to this podcast have already experienced this is you cannot envision your career path all the time, Mm -hmm. you know? I think there are some careers, okay, if you say you're going to be a doctor, there's a path that's already laid out for you for 10 years, right? But I went to Boston College. I graduated with a a bachelor's in communications and had a minor in history. And my training was oriented around being an academic. Mm. Like, I was like, yes, give me a a seat in the ivory tower. I'm going to sit there and read my books and write my papers and do all (laughs) of that, right? And I graduated in 2008. (laughs) <laughs> right in the middle of the, the recession. Yes. And so this path, this, this dream that I had for my career was not happening. Mm. Um, tried to get into school. Everybody was trying to get into school, you know, to either that's either their path or they're trying to avoid the kind of calamity of the workforce at the time. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, if I want to be a professor, then maybe I should be a teacher and spent the first three years of my career in the charter school system. First um, in the classroom and then transitioning to an administrator and found an incredible mentor who has her master's from um, Harvard MBA program. And she was just like, listen, Jodi Ann, uh, balance sheets, P&L statements, this is not rocket science. Mm. I'll just teach you. (laughs) She sat with me and taught me her job she left and I was able to step into her job. And so I, I learned all these skills that I've never learned in school and did not have a plan to learn any of this, right? And so um, had some challenges, kind of stumbled my way into becoming a personal trainer full-time for two years, which again, really? not part of the plan. Yeah, I was riding my bike and I just got into a conversation with someone at a like a little rest stop along the path and a week later, I was in a gym in an interview for a personal training position. And I had no personal training certification. Certification. Wow. <laughs> I, I just worked out a lot. Huh? <laughs> That's cool. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah. And so I really struggled with that, actually. Um, so I got my personal training certification. I was working in the gym. 
my first check was $23.86. Mm. And I had never had to hustle for work before. Mm, mm, and mm. I was like, listen, I graduated from Boston College. Like, <laughs> why, you know, that's the kind of arrogance that I brought to work. Mm. And in hindsight, looking back, those two years, I learned more professionally than probably any other job. Mm. Because I spent 10 hours a day, one-on-one -on -one with people, speaking with people who were, you know, stay-at-home moms, hedge fund managers, folks who were formerly incarcerated, international students, you know, just a, a diversity of people that I'd never experienced. I'd never had exposure to, you know, that diversity of, of folks before. And I also was forced to talk with people um, because if you don't chat with people in the gym, people who probably have no interest in speaking with you, you don't get clients. Mm. You don't get clients. Your checks will continue to be $23 and 86 cents. And so it's the first time I think that I learned how to build a business, but I was still housed in this corporate gym space. So there was yeah. still some protection. I wasn't totally out on my own. Um, I transitioned from there into grad school, had my master's in public health from the University of Michigan, and that got me down a health path. Um, I worked in international development, global health for a number of years, and I never, ever wanted to do global health, ever, mm. because it, I just kept meeting people who said things like, I just want to go to Africa. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like, don't want to be in that environment. And also all these, you know, places that you're supposed to quote unquote help. I was born there. Mm. I was born in a hospital that looks just like the hospitals you're trying to support. And that just was too much for me, I think, mentally. But again, didn't plan it. Literally out loud said I do not want to do global health. I did global health work for four and a half years. Wow. Wow. <laughs> But I think because I didn't want to do it, as soon as I stepped into it, I was very aware, intimately so, of the racism that exists, not just in that field, especially since it's founded in colonialism, Yeah. but just when you're engaging with folks who work with other people from other countries across different languages, across different cultural norms, I just met so many people who thought they were good white people mm. um, who were so culturally competent because they spoke many languages, because they've been to so many countries. Mm -hmm. And I had never met more culturally incompetent people than when I was in global health. Interesting. Wow. Because it's this sense that you don't see that you have a problem. So it actually makes it worse. Wow. Okay. That's very important. Yeah. And so being there, I ended up, kind of job crafting and kind of chipping away at my core job functions to build out a diversity and inclusion initiative at that company. Mm. Mm. And so that work was more meaningful to me than like project managing something mm. in Liberia, mm. right? Great work. Like I still love my international team, but are we quote unquote helping if we don't even understand how colonialism is showing up in our work every day? Mm. Mm. You know, so am I actually perpetuating more harm with these projects that I'm managing? And I mm. needed space in that organization to be able to have those conversations so we can pivot our work and grow our impact. Mm. 
And so that's the work that I wanted to do, right? And work like that is not well-funded in yeah. nonprofit spaces. Mm. And so I was like, well, I could do this making some big bucks. So <laughs> let me transition to a for-profit space. Did DNI work full-time at a startup and then transitioned um, to a larger company doing DNI work. And then that's when I was laid off for COVID-19. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that kind of like entrepreneurial approach um is still with me from mm. personal training my whole career of just trying to see what is the best next step and this best next step that i'm in right now is thinking about how i can leverage my ability to engage with folks across you know experience across language and culture and talk about racism, talk about white supremacy, talk mm -hmm. about how these huge um, systems of oppression just show up in our nine to five. Mm -hmm. And what can I do to support, not, not really just organizations, I want to support individual people, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> particularly yeah. people of color who are trying to navigate these systems and they think that they're the problem. They mm. think that they're alone. And so how can I create work content community that is the work content community that I needed in, you know, navigating these different industries and sectors throughout my career. And so literally my LLC opened what April, May, June, July, three months ago. Yeah, and yeah, I'm just trying to be iterative and just focusing on the work, the people, the topics that give me energy. Mm. I love that. That's where I'm at right now. <laughs> well, well, hey, no, this is a wonderful background. You have so much, hit on so much points that were very, very important, but it's your story and what's brought you to today. And I guess I wanted to transition. There's two areas I wanted to transition to, but I think, you know, one area which you kind of touched on that I think will be more pointed is you mentioned where you, the people you want to help. And obviously the recent events that have been going on in America woke a lot of people up to, you know, things, whether it's, you know, you saw a lot of corporate statements, which, you know, a lot of them could be fluff, a lot of be performative, but they put them out. Um, so you saw corporate America wake up in a kind of a sense, but, you know, with your, your, you've been asked a lot by corporate America to speak, to help them with what, you know, what's going on internally within these companies, I guess, what have, how have your thoughts changed on, you know, are there going to be changes in, within corporate America? What's going on? Have the recent events woken people up or what's going to happen going forward, do you think? Yeah, you know, I'm just keep it real. Do I think people at an institutional level are more awake? Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. I don't I don't look at this work with a hearts and minds approach of like, oh my gosh, I didn't know and I just wanna think about how I can be a better person. No. <laughs> I'm talking about practices, policies, procedures. What do you have institutionally set up that is designed to keep black and brown people down, underpaid, you know, in work that is below their actual skill set yeah. and having these day-to-day, -day, you know, experiences, racial microaggressions that a lot of people, you know, in ways leave, either leave their companies or leave their industries. Black and Latinx women are the greater majority of folks who are opening their own businesses right now. Mm. Mm. Right. I think there was an American Express study or something, you know, that said, I think it's what, 168% of businesses that have been started by women in the past year have been Black and Latinx women. Mm. 
Wow. Like that is the rate of increase that has happened over the past years. And so, you know, in this current moment, do I think corporate America is waking up? No, I think there is a greater demand um, for accountability and there's a lot of social pressure to say something about it. Yeah. Um, here's a great example around that accountability piece. There are a lot of folks who do diversity, equity, and inclusion work within companies who lost their jobs as soon as money started getting tight. Mm. As soon mm. as COVID hit, <laughs> <laughs> your dollars get a little compromised. A lot of people who did diversity, equity, and inclusion work got furloughed or got laid off. Exactly. That was the first in the chopping block for the, for the corporations. First in the chopping block. And that speaks to prioritization, yeah. right? How integrated is your DNI work into your business function? Because mm. if it's not that integrated, if it's more peripheral, then of course you're going to let it go as soon yeah. as money starts getting tight. A month later, two months later, you know, George Floyd is murdered. The entire country, the entire world is forced to pay attention because they're not doing anything else. They start advocating for this, start taking to the streets, taking to their social media. Like that is all people are talking about. Mm. And now you go to LinkedIn, you go to Indeed, you go to these sites and there's a heck of a lot of diversity, equity, inclusion roles open. Yeah. There are yeah. a lot of people hiring for DNI people, right? Yeah, exactly. It was like, I thought money was getting tight. <laughs> you know you just you just fired me two months ago mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and now you're emailing me on the side asking me to review your instagram statement about racism remember when you fired me last month mm. and so there is a level of um societal accountability around racism right now that corporate america is being forced to speak to yeah what I think is so important about even your bad company statements is that that company made a public statement, which is now opening the door for a lot of people to start asking for receipts. Yes. When you stand with Black Lives, it doesn't <laughs> yeah. matter if the statement was good, right? Yeah. You stand with Black Lives, okay, who's on your board? Who's in your senior leadership? Tell yeah. me about your supplier diversity. What type of programs do you have in your company? And without that bad statement, you can't ask those questions. Exactly. So now we're in this new dimension. There's this portal that's been opened up where people are like, show me receipts. Yeah. And if you don't have them, then you need to speak to this statement. And now more than ever, companies have to do something because everyone's looking at them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I... <laughs> Like, I remember being in conversations around, you know, can we give employees a day off to vote? And what about, you know, time off and productivity? And like, there's all this hand wringing around whether we should give um, employees paid time off so they can vote. And, you know, middle of June, suddenly all these huge companies are given out, given Juneteenth as a holiday. You didn't even know what Juneteenth was two days ago. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> you did so not even know. And so all these big companies like, yes, we're giving Juneteenth as a holiday. And we want to celebrate Juneteenth and whatever. You had no clue what that was. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't matter because now we can 
we have Juneteenth off, right? Mm -hmm. Now mm -hmm. we can talk about not, not just diversity, equity, inclusion. Like there are companies that had our DEI task force, you know, one week. And then a couple of weeks later, they're like, you know what? We're going to eradicate white supremacy. <laughs> we're mm. going to, you know, have this anti-racism task force. And we're in this new space that even if it's just in language, there is more space now than I have ever experienced in my professional life to have public, serious, direct conversations about racism with, I'm not going to say no, but definitely less backlash than mm. we would have experienced before. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I got reprimanded for, quote unquote, having a race agenda at mm. work. Mm. Mind you, I do diversity, equity, inclusion in work. And so I said, yeah, I do. I do have yeah. a race. That's my job, right? <laughs> and now fast forward is like, everybody has a race agenda, right? And so now that the door is open, like this is the time where we can actually try to push for structural change, you know, before the portal closes, because it will. Yes, agreed. No, you're right. But this is so many amazing points. And I agree, like this, there's not, not been a better time for people like you um, as far as, you know, leading the charge with, you know, having these conversations, being able to communicate uh, to people that, you know, it sometimes could be harder to communicate these issues to. So that's really important. Is that a reason why you are obviously starting a podcast, which I'd love to hear more about what's going to be on the podcast. And I, I believe you told me last time we talked, you were doing a book too. I could have made that up. Uh, but I'd love to talk about those two mediums where you're going to get information out there, podcast, book, you're obviously a great speaker. You do a lot of speaking. Writing is something that seems to be a passion of yours. So talk about that and what, what you plan to do when it comes to those items. Yeah, so my podcast is called Black Cancer, and my book um, will likely be called that as well. And so what the podcast is focusing on is chatting with regular everyday people like me. Not like you, because you're on TV now, so you're not regular <laughs> anymore. Very regular. <laughs> Very regular folks. But chatting with everyday people, folks of color specifically, about their experiences with cancer. And that can mean you yourself are managing uh, your cancer diagnosis right now, you're a survivor, or someone in your life has, you know, passed away from cancer, has experienced cancer. Mm. Maybe you're a caregiver of someone who's actively, you know, going through treatment right now. Mm. And so, the point in that is to elevate our communities around cancer and health. Yeah. When we think about cancer, kind of the first image that pops in your head maybe are pink ribbons. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, I had a cancer diagnosis a couple of years ago and was scouring the internet trying to find somebody who had my experience um, had some type of lessons for me, what I call trauma wisdom, <laughs> like how mm. can I navigate this and not feel so alone? And when you're in a desperate situation, when you're in crisis, what you should not have to spend time doing is scouring the internet. Yeah, exactly. You know, I think as easy as it is to find a pink ribbon graphic <laughs> on <laughs> Google images, 
it should be as easy for me to hear the stories of other people of color who have navigated cancer in some way. And so I'm super excited. Like when I got laid off, I was pumped because I'm like, yes, I'm finally got this podcast out. (laughs) I'm going to get this book out. Um, I didn't expect, you know, my time to shift in terms of, you know, helping companies and individuals be responsive to this current, you know, racial revolution that's happening right now. But the podcast project is, still happening i'm doing interviews and i'm excited to release that probably in the next two weeks yes nice impressive yeah. to be watching for that the podcast and the book so that's that's super exciting so we have to be watching for that we'll have the links to for people in in the, in the description of this episode um and, uh, let's talk about that so you mentioned you've kind of got on your own which is important as far as financial, obviously this being a, a portion of this podcast being financial driven, a lot of big portion. What are some of the money lessons that you've kind of tried to live by when it comes to, or maybe lessons you've learned around the way? A lot of people learn lessons and maybe mistakes they made um, or just things that you've heard and you've kind of lived by as when it comes to personal finance or managing your money. Yeah. I mean, I'm an immigrant. My family came here from Jamaica mm-hmm. when like right when I was born, I came here as a baby. In my passport, my Jamaican passport photo, you can see my mom's fingers holding me up. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) My passport has one stamp in it, which is when we migrated to the US. And so, you know, and I bring that up because (laughs) I think it's important to be and bear witness to your own family's glow up in a way. Yeah. You know, my mom in Jamaica went to school with no shoes. Mm. Now she has a closet full of shoes and a car that talks to her. Mm. (laughs) Like Mm. this happened in her lifetime. And I watched my parents grind. You know, I was in 10 years old in the fifth grade when my dad, and I don't know the details of it. You know, you just kind of see it happening around you. But when I think back on it now, like when I was 10, my dad was, you know, I don't know, in his 30s or 40s or something. And he quit his job to start a business. Mm. And I'm like, I don't know if I would make that choice with three kids in a country that I just got to 10 years ago, Mm. (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. And, you know, when I think back now on the choices that my parents made in trying to always create some opportunities for them that, you know, has definitely impacted my view on money, Mm. that you can find ways to not just support yourself, but to create a comfortable life. Yes, yes. But at the same time, you know, I remember sitting with my dad once and he says, Joe, you think I'm a die of hunger with $20 in my pocket? (laughs) Mm. And there's also this sense of money's not important, Mm. right? I've seen my dad just like, I'll do this, I'll do that, like very generous financially Mm. and not someone who I'm sure they, I'm sure they scrimmed, I'm sure they struggled, you know, but he had a mindset around money of like money comes, money goes. Mm. And so that has also shaped me. Like I try to save, you know, I try to protect my money, Mm. but I also know that especially someone who's, who's survived cancer, like it is what it is, bro. Like you get what you can, but I'm not someone who is trying to hustle to get a million dollars. Now, 
I don't know if that's the right approach. <laughs> like, can I get a million dollars? Like, if that's possible, I definitely want that. <laughs> but I am not trying to, I don't create stress in my life around finances, you know, in that type of way, if yeah. that makes sense. Oh, 100%. No, that's great. Thank you for that amazing background and t- telling the story of your family because it is uh, my parents came from Nigeria so we shared that and I saw them work really hard as well and, and it really is but that hey everyone part two of the podcast um, we have the second part of the interview which will be available next week episode 32 second part of the interview we do a little bit of a role reversal sorry for the abrupt cutoff of this interview we got part two with Jody Ann coming up next week